what a beautiful day today. How's it possible to wake up today and not be happy? When you, when you get outside and weather's beautiful, it's just a be- beautiful day. So thankful for today. I'm excited about the message I'm going to share with you this morning. And I'm going to ask you if you would open your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 20. I'll be reading at verse 19. John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 19 through verse 22. Last week I began a series of messages on Easter called The Return to Love. The whole reason for the series is that life can be so demanding, so rigorous, so challenging, so discouraging, that it is easy for us to give up on love. It's easy for us to give up on ourselves. And it's easy to allow our fear and our struggles to shape and to limit our lives. And in this series, what we're looking at is Jesus as a model of what it means to live a full and meaningful and abundant life in this world. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our hope. And Jesus is our inspiration. For in Jesus, we see what happened to him. He he came into the world and then experienced the worst that the world has to offer. He came as love, but he was treated with fear. He was betrayed. He was denied, abandoned, condemned, crucified. And in those three days, those three days that took place between Good Friday, his crucifixion, and Easter, his resurrection, Jesus returned to the heart of his God. He returned to the God that sent him to the world and returned to love. Now that's a great story in of itself. You know, you live this life, you do the best you can, you live and love, and then you return to God who, who loves you. But that's not the whole story. It's a good thing because if it was the whole story, there'd be no hope for you, there'd be no hope for me. We'd be lost in our own despair and our own struggle. Because the rest of the story is that he returned to love and then returned to love. Wow. What that means is that we're no longer dead in our struggles. It means that there's hope for us. Because when we look at who Jesus is, in that he came back and returned to love those who betrayed him, those who have denied him, those who abandoned him, it says something about us, that there is nothing in our life, my life, your life, that can shut out his love from you. Fear is a prison. Fear limits life. 
But Jesus' love is so strong that there is no door that he can't open. And this morning, if you are here and you are fearful, if you are here and you're concerned that you've been left for dead, if you are here and you're struggling in your life, in some area of your life, I want you to know that there is no part of your life, no circumstance in your life that the love of God cannot reach, rescue, and redeem. This morning at the middle service, the chief of the Louisville Police Department was here. He attends every week. His name is Steve Conrad. Wonderful guy. But as you may have heard him to say this week that um, murders in our city, crime in our city has increased a great deal this, in the last year. And he said they've identified as many as 25 gangs in our city. And I loved what he said on the radio this week in the public press. He's, he's been taking a lot, he's under a lot of pressure. He basically said that the answer, the answer to the problems in our community are not more policing, not more jails, not more fear, not more intimidation. He said if we hope to overcome the situation in our community, that it's going to take the response of families and individuals and schools and churches. And I love what he said. I love what he said because it challenges us. Because we live in a world today that is so dominated by fear and hopelessness that it is so easy for us to blame our law enforcement. It's so easy to blame people of particular races or particular neighborhoods instead of taking responsibility and saying that the answer, that the answer, that the answer is for us to be God's people and to do exactly what Jesus did is to return to love, allow that love to take away our fear to allow us to return to our city and to return to love. Ultimately, I gotta tell you, ultimately, when I stand before God, my creator, one day David Emery is gonna stand before his creator and before Jesus Christ, and he's gonna remind me of something that Jesus said to those who have been given much, much is expected, to those who have been called, much is expected. And he's going to look at me, and he's not going to say, David Emery, did you fill the church building at Easter? David Emery, did you build a great building? David Emery, did you have a lot of followers? How many people followed you on Twitter? <laughs> he's going to say, David, did you preach the revolutionary love of my son, Jesus Christ? I don't care how many people gathered in your building, if they did not hear the truth and began to live themselves by the truth that I love the world and I sent Jesus in the world to save the world and not to condemn it. And ultimately, David Emery, your value, your value as a leader to me was were you willing, 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 willing to return to love and to return to love 
and to call people to move beyond their fear. I've started preaching and I haven't even read the scripture yet. But may I? So, so let, let, me, let me give you some background here. It will empower your understanding of the text. If you go back and you look at, at the Gospel of John, John says that when you see Jesus, you see the Father. When you see the Father, you see Jesus. And so there's this incredible moment in the ministry of Jesus where Jesus asked the disciples to clarify their understanding about who he is. Who am I, he says. You are the Son of God. And then it's, it's striking that what happens almost immediately after he begins to share this good news he begins to share what seems like bad news. But I'm not going to read around much longer. I'm going to be leaving you. I'm going to be returning to love. I'm going to suffer for what I believe. And so at verse, chapter 14, he says to the disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life, and the way to the Father is through me. Want to know God, want to experience God, it is, it is through me. I and the Father are one, and my way is God's way. And then he says to them, he said, I'm going to be leaving you. But it's a good thing I'm going to leave you, he says, because when I leave you, I'm going to send you a gift. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to send to you, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit that's going to come and live inside you, and I'll no longer be outside you. I'm going to be in you. My truth is going to live in you, and I'm going to give you peace in your fear. Disciples don't understand this. And it's a really powerful moment. Uh, he, before his crucifixion, he's, he's instructing them. He's teaching them. And they don't remember this. But he says, I'm going to give you my peace, and you'll have my peace. And he said, the reason for this is so important. Listen, he says, because I've chosen you. That's right. I've chosen you, and I've chosen you to go into the world as I was sent into the world, as God sent me into the world, as you will see me die to self and rise to a power higher than myself, empowered by spirit, you, you, you are being sent into the world. So when the Holy Spirit comes, open your heart, move beyond your fear, receive it and welcome it, because you, you, and this is astounding. Listen to this, folks. Listen. He says, you're going to do greater things than me. And because I live in you, all you have to do is ask. Maybe the problem is we've stopped asking. Maybe the problem is we have forgotten that we have a choice. So, so then, then what happens, um, all the events of Holy Week and, and 
They, they watch Jesus suffer, crucified. And then on Easter Sunday, the, there they are, lost and confused, wrapped in their fear and their anxiety and, and lost in their struggle. And, and even then they can't believe, even though they've seen him. And so we then get to the story in chapter 20, verse 19, where it says that on the evening of the first day of the week means Sunday night, it says they were together and they were at rooms hiding from the world because they were afraid. And then something remarkable happens. Like I said, there's nothing in this life that can keep Jesus from entering your life. And the great thing is sometimes you don't even have to open the door. If you just open your eyes, he'll knock down the door and come in. He's that persistent. Your fear can't keep him away. He comes and stands among them and says what he said earlier, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They, they were filled with joy because he had pushed through the fear to reach them. And again he says to them, how many times do you have to say it to us? I know you're afraid. It's going to take me three or four times. He said, peace be with you. And then again he says it, as the Father has sent me, I've sent you. Think about what that means. As the Father has sent me into the world to bring life, to bring love, I am sending you. To reach into the lives of the broken, the lost, the afraid, the addicted, the scared, the terrified, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I got to tell you, I just got to pause here for a minute. I'm going off script here for a minute, but I got to tell you here what he means when he says that. When you look at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, at the opening story of creation, how does life start? Life starts when God takes some clay, shapes it into a human being, and blows life into it, blows his spirit into it. This is the same thing he's talking about here. He's talking about what fear does, how fear renders us lifeless, hopeless, dead, without hope in the world. And so he comes to the disciples who have been killed and rendered ineffective by their fear and blows his life into them, his power into them, and animates them. It's what happens at Pentecost. At Pentecost, this group of fearful disciples are turned into powerful proclaimers of the word because God moved from doing an outside work to an inside job. He moved from an outside presence to an inside presence, but we have to choose. We have to choose to open our mouths and inhale what God has exhaled. Somebody say amen because I'm preaching now. And so why? I want to tell you why. It's so simple, really. I got a few whys. Because at the very heart of who God is, is love. 
Sometimes people, religious people, get it wrong. They think that Jesus came to the world because the world was so bad that God had to send Jesus to the world to correct it, to condemn it. Sometimes people think, mistakenly think, that Jesus had to be sent to the cross because the world was so sinful that God had to kill his son to redeem it. That's not it either. Now the Bible teaches us that God sent his son Jesus into the world because of God's great profound love for the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but to save the world. That he sent his son into the world to suffer and die on the cross as a reflection of his love. My love for you is so great, I am willing to lay down my life for you. In fact, if you read in John 13 through 17, he says there is no greater love in the world than the one who's willing to lay down his life for his friends, and I would add not only his friends, but his enemies. For while we were God's enemies, God's love is so great that God says in Romans that he even died for his enemies. Father, forgive the people that put me here. You see, it's out of love. Like the Roman centurion who stood looking up at the cross of Jesus at the moment of his crucifixion said, as he saw Jesus cry out and utter his last breath, said, truly, this is the Son of God. It's love. Why love? The second why is because the heart of God is moved by human suffering. God sees your pain and is moved by it. So often when we see the pain of other people's lives, we're not moved by it. We instead judge them and condemn them. No matter what kind of pain is, whether it's the pain of an addiction, the pain of poverty, we want to blame the victim. But God does not blame the victim because God's love is bigger than that. God is moved by our suffering. It's the story of Scripture. You want to understand God's response to the world? God sees the Israelites in the book of Exodus. They're, they're being imprisoned by fear and slavery by the Egyptians. God picks Moses, a midlife wannabe, washed-up shepherd out, prince out in the middle of the desert, and says, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to use you. You think you're no good to me. I love you. I see where you are. I see the purposeness of your life, and I'm going to give you a purpose because I've heard the cries of my people, and I'm going to send you back because I'm moved by their suffering. God is moved by suffering, not only moved by your suffering, but by every human life that suffers because every life on this earth Every person on this earth has been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. The next why. So why is it the heart of God love? Why is it that God is moved by suffering? Is because God knows something that we need to know and drill into our heads if we are to be set free and liberated. And it is this, that love, love opens doors that fear closes. Now, that's simple, but embraced, it changes lives. Look at fear. Look at what fear does to people. Fear puts people behind closed doors. The disciples had heard the news that Jesus was raised from the dead, but where were they? 
behind closed doors. Fear locks and limits our future and our opportunities and limits our vision. Fear inhibits our growth, whereas love expands our opportunities and allows us to see things that are not possible. Jesus came to the world to expand our vision about what is possible. And this is what I love about Jesus because the life and death of Jesus teaches us this profound impact that you can't kill love. You can kill people, you can kill life, but you can't kill love because he just keeps coming back. And I want to tell you, go back to what Chief Conrad said. People who grow up and make bad choices for their life, they're not bad people. It's hard to choose a different future when you don't see one. Most of the violence that we see in our world, stuff that happens with kids getting in gangs and trouble and violence, is if you are told your whole life you have no future, you have no opportunity that other people have, what, else, what other choice is there? And I want to say this, and, and, and this is not intended to be a political statement, but you can't build a wall high enough to keep people out of a place when they're trying to get their kids to safety. I'm going to tell you, if every one of you lived in another country and your kids were threatened by someone else and you thought your kids were going to die because of poverty and did not have the opportunities that other people knew, there's not a wall high enough and a price too high that you'd be willing to pay to get your kids there. If we want to address the problems in our world, we have to stop looking at other people in the world as our enemies and start embracing them as the children of God and helping them find opportunities for life because more terror creates more terror, more fear, more fear, and I'm looking for the leader that will stand up and speak the truth of Jesus Christ. I'm not looking for a leader that wants to use Jesus Christ to just bring more fear because it's not him. I don't need them to speak for me. That's, I'm talking about me. But we want to eradicate evil and suffering in our world. It's not through fear and intimidation. It's through love. It is doing what Jesus did. It's returning to the love of the Father and then returning to love. The problem that we make as Christians so often in the world is that we try to do it without his power. We, we don't know it ourselves. We still live in fear. We're still wrapped in anxiety. We're still wrapped in our loss. We want to give the love that we haven't received ourselves. Somebody came up to me after the servants and said, David, why is it that it's so easy for me to give this love to other people and to believe that God is love, but I can't accept it for myself? You see, the secret to all of this is to invite him in to those places that we've closed him out. Where we've shut him out. But the answer is you can't remove that stone on your own. You've got to have God's help. You can try all you want. But it is God that has to do it. But you've got to be willing and, and, and this is what i got to say, I didn't say it last week, is God has done all these great things in the world. We see what he's done in Jesus, 
But ultimately, there is one thing that you have to do. You have to choose that love he has for you. You have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. There's an invitation to you. God can work for the good of those who love him, but you have to accept the invitation. God can love you and give new life, but you have to accept the invitation. God can redeem you, take you from where you are to a new place, change your circumstances, change your life, change your power. But you, at some point, have to give up the idea that you can fix it yourself. And you got to say, i got to be invaded by a foreign power. I've got to have something get through my indifference and my fear and reach into me and change me on the inside out. Because if you keep trying to do it without it, you're going to be unsuccessful and fearful. There's no other way to explain what happened to the disciples than the idea that it was an outsider coming inside and changing them from the inside out. I mean, fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, ordinary men and women, empowered. And here's the beautiful thing. When you get it, the world gets it. You know, see, that's the mistake that we make is we don't get it. We just try to give it. Or, I don't know if this makes any sense, but it's making sense to me this morning. Sometimes what happens is, is we don't get it and we don't give it. We just make everything worse. Does that make sense? I look around... And it's as if most people have, oh, I just see dead people. <laughs> I look at churches, I see dead people. And maybe we're not completely dead, but it's like we've called in hospice. And so we just said, my life can't change. It's, I'm terminal. I got, I'm terminal. You can't change my situation. So just give me some drugs to make me comfortable until I die. Come on now. We call those, those drugs materialism. We call those drugs alcohol. We call those drugs sex. We call those drugs power, control. And we just want to keep ourselves comfortable till we die, but God wants more. We don't need drugs when we have Jesus Christ. Because we have what we need. Am I making sense? Okay. Because this is what, this is what Jesus said. He said it all comes down to two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Return to love and... Return to love. Okay. Here it is. So a friend of mine this week, he goes, David, man, last Easter Sunday I was pouring my heart out in prayer for you and I have this verse for you. And I, said, I said, what is it? He said, Hebrews 13.5. Let me read it to you. Okay. So Hebrews is written to people who had given up on love. They were being persecuted. They were called to, to return to love the world. And they were walking away from the faith. And Hebrews is written to remind them of Jesus is our love. He's the mediator between God and the Father. He's our high priest. And this is what he then says in the context of this letter, trying to inspire them. He says, God has said, never will I leave you. 
never will I forsake you. Did you hear that? God's not, God left this world, but he came back for you. And for every person living on this earth, I love this next line. I didn't put this on the PowerPoint. I should have in big, bold print, but it says, so we can say with confidence, strength, power, assurance, that the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. Can I say that one more time? The Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. Because what can mere mortals do to me when God is my helper? And then he goes on to say this, and and this just expanded for me an even deeper place. I didn't understand what this meant until until I got this all connected. But he goes on to say in verse 8 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and what? And let me say that Jesus Christ is the same. And you know what that means? He never gives up. He just keeps coming back. He just keeps returning to love and returning to love and coming back and coming back and coming back. And that Savior that 2,000 years ago broke through the doors of a room locked by fear is still breaking through doors knocking down walls and reaching into people's lives and giving them new life and new opportunity and the ability to live and to love boldly the life he's called us to live. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ on this Sunday after Easter. Amen.